0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dear Katie, where survivors of sexual assault, rape, and abuse share their stories from hurt to healing. I'm your host, Katie Kessner. When I was age 18, I appeared on the cover of Time magazine to speak out nationally and really internationally as a victim of acquaintance rape. And since then, I've dedicated my entire life, my career, all of my energy to helping survivors and really raising awareness around sexual assault, ultimately to end sexual violence in all forms. Today, my co-host is Claire Kaplan and we're going to be speaking with Ashley. And our real question we hope that we can all think about today is how does our racial identity or cultural identity impact the particular healing path for all of us as survivors? Ashley uses her own artistic gifts to express how she feels about the intimate partner and sexual violence and abuse that she experienced. So she'll share lessons about how we can use art as a form of healing and what wisdom she has, especially for those of Filipino descent. Listen in. Welcome to the Dear Katie Podcast.
1: This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Welcome to all of our listeners. We're so grateful for your presence and for bearing witness to the testimony that you're going to be hearing today. Thank you again to our guests for sharing your vulnerability and strength with us and the world. And I'd like to say to start out that we need to be careful that if you are someone who is easily... um, That listening to stories that can be difficult may be triggering, even for the average person, but especially for people who are survivors of trauma. So if that's the case, it's okay to stop the podcast and take a break. It's also okay to reach out for support, whether it's for friends, family, from a hotline if you need to. If you don't know where to reach out to, um, you can visit the Take Back the Night Foundation website and we'll give you the address at the conclusion of the podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Claire. And again, welcome to all our listeners. So now let's roll to our current guest. Oh my gosh, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. I only know a, a small bit about you, but I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, could you share a little bit about who you are and you know where you are at the moment?
2: Thank you so much, Katie and Claire. Hi, listeners. My name is Ashley DeKilia. I am an artist educator and activist based in Chicago, Illinois, where I'm currently doing a master's in fine arts program at the University of Illinois, Chicago.
0: Fantastic. So let's tell our listeners what it is that brings you to your microphone today. What what experience do you want to share with everyone?
2: So this is the first time I'm going on the record to share my first experience of sexual assault, which happened... When I was 19 years old at the College of William Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, where you two had that same experience, Katie. So that's what. I know.
0: Oh, my gosh, Ashley, that's yeah. the part that's so powerful to me is, you know, we're different um, years there. But similar, you know, unfortunately, campus rape happens
2: all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so please welcome. And I look forward to your story.
2: Yeah, I was 19 years old. And I grew up in a very strict religious and military household. So when I was in college, I really rebelled against that kind of upbringing. Um, And I was a bit of a party girl, to be honest, I lost my way. I wasn't focused on my studies. And I wasn't really self aware. To be frank, so it happened one morning, like I, I, was, I was not conscious when um, someone who I had been casually seeing had forced themselves like inside of me, anally, and it was definitely not consensual, I wasn't awake, and you know, I never agreed to that. And I didn't even realize till later on that that was assault.
0: But, yeah. So let's roll back to uh, Ashley. I think everyone wants to hear how it, how, you know, how did you meet the person? Where yeah. were you? Were you in your residence hall? Was it on campus, off campus? Um,
2: and yeah. and
0: I, I loved hearing you say I was a party girl, but who cares? Like, yeah. I, I think your bold statement is I, I, You can be reckless, but no one deserves to be raped.
2: No, absolutely not. So it was with someone that I was casually seeing who was an alum from the college. But he kept coming back to party because he was in a fraternity. So he was uh, a frat brother, I guess. And I had other friends in that fraternity too. And college dating is always nebulous. It's honestly it's it's you know it's just hookup culture it's never clearly um committed and monogamous relationships right off the bat so it was that kind of a situation and we had been seeing each other casually for a few months this was not my first encounter with him and it was off campus the morning after a party while i was still asleep and he forced himself like into me or at least attempted to anally and i didn't realize at the time that that was assault i you know i i was not sober at the time either and not self-aware but i definitely didn't consent to it and i definitely wasn't prepared for that either Um, that's a very intense thing. So then,
1: so you're having, you know, you're, you're involved in the party scene at school and you met this person. Is this person you were, is this a person you were dating? Yeah. Yeah. You
0: said he's an alum. I just want to dig back in alum, like one year out, 10 years out, two years out, two, only two. And he was local.
2: He was in Washington, D.C., but came down to Williamsburg at least once a month because he could never stop. He never wanted to evolve out of that scene, I guess. It's not uncommon for people Mm -hmm. to, to come back just to party. Yeah, so he was in a frat, and that's how I met him, because one of my best friends was also in that frat, too. And I was friends with other people in that frat as well. So he and I hit it off and were, you know, we were talking and seeing each other casually for a few months before the assault happened. The spring of my sophomore year, spring semester, early spring semester of my sophomore year when I was 19. And it, um, It definitely changed my life and damaged my self-esteem beyond repair and impacted my relationships, like romantic relationships, like for the rest of my life.
0: I feel like um, as I listen to you, Ashley, you are the boldest painter ever. You describe everything in these bold splashes of red um, oil paint yeah. on a canvas. Like it's I'm so hearing you, and, and you funny. you make these gargantuan, big, bold, brilliant, painter strokes. Thank you. Um, Katie. The it, the way you just said it, it damaged my life forever. You that's an indelible ink imprint. On I feel like it's that tattoo you cannot ever remove. Yeah, you know. I'm
2: sorry. I'm getting emotional. More- no,
0: uh, my gosh. It, Ashley, it's brilliant. Yeah. He used you to explore a new dimension of his own sexuality. Yeah. Taking full on advantage of your vulnerability.
2: Yeah, I was sleeping.
0: Ashley, to give you a moment to recover. Claire, I we haven't talked about this before, but I think this is a different type of
1: perpetrator. It's like the try her on for size perpetu- perpetrator yep, yep. it probably it could very well be and also she won't notice she's um, she's out you know? yeah she- like like i'll just i'll just go there because she's
0: not even going to remember this
1: he didn't see you as a full human being
2: absolutely not
1: he saw you as a hole stick yes. in it, right or more than one hole and yeah. it's like there is a certain kind of person who for whatever hit their own reasons, because I don't think pe- people are not born this way, right? But the idea of I'm going to deny you your humanity. But he doesn't think of it that way, right? He thinks, I got to get it off. And now here she is. So I'm going to get it off.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting emotional because I, I, I didn't rehearse this. You know, it's a story that's that's buried in my body and in my memories for over a decade. So now it's just like the emotions are being excavated like live as we're recording yes i want to mention that this person went on to be involved with politics and worked with hillary clinton and anthony weiner ironically oh gosh yeah so i think he's still involved in politics with the democrat party and i never reported this i never you know i i didn't even want to tell too many people about this either And when I told my parents that something like this had happened, I didn't mention details of it, but they were incapable of supporting me at the time, too. It's also because we're Asian and it's this culture of subservience and shame.
0: Thank you for also talking about the racial dimension. You just said it's because we're Asian. Um, Would you Please share what that means to you and what for all of our, you know, Asian listeners are going to be thinking
2: about. Asian cultures, especially Filipino ones, I'm Filipino, are very patriarchal. Most cultures are, but there's specific type of subservience and silence projected upon women and how they are raised. You know, even when we're violated, we're not supposed to say anything about it. That's that's our culture. There's a lot of shame around these these things too, and it, it happened constantly throughout history. Um, you know, just thinking about the Philippines, there were comfort women that were used by the Japanese army as sex slaves, and the first comfort women didn't come out until 1990. This was in World War II, so it was like 50 years after the fact. And that's pretty significant that it took many decades for the first comfort woman to come up and share her story. She, she went by Mama Rosa. I forget her last name, but she went by Mama Rosa. And after she came out with her story, a hundred other Filipina women came forward as well. But there were tens of thousands of comfort women used by the Japanese and they were shunned by their families and by society for being used as sex slaves even though that wasn't that wasn't their fault at all.
0: All of our Asian, especially Filipino sisters who are listening, what's your major message to them just in this moment?
2: To raise your voices. They've tried to cultivate our silence for many generations and here we are now you know we we have so much potential to share the truth it has taken a long time for me to come to the point where i am today but it all comes down to self-love as you know as cliche as that is it's just honoring who you are and your story and not devaluing yourself. Like I I believe Asian women are told to devalue themselves. There's definitely preference for boys. You know, when when women are pregnant, they're always, like Asian women get pregnant, there's always this this wish that it's a boy. It's really working against the grain to to respect and honor your own value. And it's, it's taken me so much to come to this point but becoming a mother last year has definitely made it more urgent too for me because I'm a mother to a daughter and I would never want her to see herself the way that I did or go through what I did and I'm going to protect her but I'm not going to shelter her from my truth and from what this world is so that she can navigate it better than I did. Oh my gosh, Ashley, I'm not. I, I'm crying with
0: you. No, no. I know my heart's. I, I am not your soul sister, but I hear every amount of energy, strength, vision, compassion, and tears you must have cried. Nightmares you must have had. Like yeah. your whole lived self is so powerful. So powerful. You You are amazing.
1: Yeah, you are. And I the fact that you're telling this story and I know that there are we we have listeners who are gonna go, Oh my gosh, that was my that's what happened to me in that way. You know, that that I was living, I was drinking, I was doing things because it was because I wanted to, because I wanted to have fun and I was young and this was my chance, you know. And and it seems as if this is sort of the way when when something bad happens to us, it's almost as if well, this is the price you pay for you know it's like you're yeah. being punished. And and why is it that other people, i.e., non women, uh, non women identified people, can somehow get away with that? The first thing I, I I'd like to talk to a little bit about is the notion of self blame, and I'm wondering if if um, your parents blamed you, obviously, but I wonder if if
2: if you felt any of that yourself. Absolutely. And later on in my adulthood, after college, even after I was away from the whole partying lifestyle, I found myself in very abusive relationships. And self-blame played a big part in that, not valuing myself and blaming myself, you know, for to make to make excuses for my partner's poor behavior just because I had no self-esteem and I had no boundaries and would tolerate just the worst. And it wasn't just one partner. it was a, it was a string of relationships in my late 20s to early 30s, most recently with my child's father. I tolerated just so much. Um, but things changed when I had a baby and I ended the relationship with my child's father when I knew that it would, it would turn phys- like physically abusive. And I did not want her to grow up seeing me being treated like that. So that's a huge factor in what activated this change.
1: I've heard from a lot of women over the years <clears throat> for whom their children were their motivation yeah to get out of an abusive relationship to change their lives um, what okay you you realized you need to make a change and you amazing and that you got out of that relationship what steps did you take for yourself
2: it all came down to defining boundaries defining boundaries and what i would tolerate from my relationships it wasn't just My child's father was also my best friend who was abusive. It was also, you know, um, a lover who was in and out of my life for five years and wreaked havoc on my mental health. It was it was also the way that I was treating myself, too. There were no boundaries in my self-deprecation. And I think defining that, becoming aware of that was pivotal. How did you? How did you do that? I honestly had that change because I couldn't take it anymore. I hit rock bottom. And I was for for a while considering like suicide just because I couldn't take it anymore.
1: And I hear that obviously, so you hear that in your voice. And it's, yeah. it's so difficult to, to think that, you know, when we're kids, we don't imagine ourselves getting to the point where we're contemplating ending our lives because of the. Yeah trauma we've experienced
2: it's yeah my child's father just dragged me so so badly in our relationship and it started the day that our daughter was born so when when i ended it with him i just felt like a complete failure to her so and that plus like the hormones from my postpartum and the depression from being in this pandemic being so isolated, it just all compounded at once. And that was, that was rock bottom. I didn't go, like, I obviously didn't take any steps to going through with that. Like my daughter needs me, but it was, it was really bad state of mental health at that point. And like the last time I had felt like that was when I was at William Mary after After the assault that I described and realizing that my parents were not supporting me, it was that feeling of betrayal. That's what the rock bottom was.
1: It sounds like the betrayal by your parents and the lack of support. Yeah. Felt, am I wrong to say that it felt as bad as the assault itself?
2: It was worse, to be honest. And in some ways it's worse because it's my parents. It's, it's just, it's your whole life is created for you by your parents. You know, your, your world, like it's, it's shaped by the foundations at home. So I felt like I had no foundation.
1: Did you have siblings? Were they supportive if you have siblings?
2: I did. I have a younger brother and he didn't know about it. Until recently, actually, I I didn't tell him too much about it. And he has his own issues, too, because he is gay and was closeted for uh, up until he was a teenager. And that's still something that he's reckoning with with my parents because they're so conservative. We weren't bad kids and my parents were not bad parents. Mm -hmm. I want to say that on the record that Mm -hmm. they did the best that they could. Right. And especially now that I'm a parent, too. Like I've had to learn to be more compassionate towards them. It's a lot. It is a lot. And I think most, uh, many parents
1: hope that one day their children have kids so they can understand. And I think, but at the same time, it doesn't take away your feelings of when you needed them.
2: Absolutely.
1: And they were not able to do it for whatever reasons, ill-equipped to do it yeah and you needed that
0: um claire i feel like we could ask so much more of ashley but i feel like she's already given so much
1: yeah and i'm just you know i i agree with everything that that you've all said i i think what i'd love to hear from you ashley is where are you now what's happening now you've you realize you had this wonderful you have this beautiful baby and you are you know starting to address some of these issues with your life you got out of this abusive relationship how does it feel to be you now
2: it's a it's a challenge every day still, to be honest. I still struggle a lot with my self-esteem and with what happened to my body. And, you know, it's not perfect. My life isn't perfect, but I'm really grateful for my position now versus where I was over the past decade and a half. I'm I have a beautiful daughter. She's so smart. She's only 14 months old and she reads. And I'm in my dream MFA program too. I got a scholarship into it. And it's it's just an honor to do what you love, I think. But you know, on on paper and on the surface, there's so much I have going for me. For sure, there's so much that I want to do for my community, and for the community of survivors. But like Katie said, it's it's just it's an imprint on your mind and body that you carry for the rest of your life.
1: I will have to ask <clears throat> when we we say goodbye to each other today. What what are you going to do for yourself? How are you, will you take care of yourself for having done this? Because this this doing this could be triggering
2: it 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 was like it definitely helped me release some of my emotions too. I think I'm going to need to journal after this and and write down ways in which I want to help other survivors with this the story that I shared someday because I think now that I've, you know, gone on the record and shared it with you, I think more people are going to need to hear it as well. So that's something that I'm going to need to start mentally preparing for.
1: Are you thinking about using your art as a way to do that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I've, I've made paintings about being sexually assaulted, but I, I think taking it the next level is um, what is being inspired from this conversation.
1: What what do you mean by taking it to the next level? Tell tell me what that is.
2: Just making my work more provocative and urgent, but also taking you know the support that I'm able to give to survivors to the next level too.
1: Well, that's amazing, and I can't wait till your first exhibit happens because I want to come to Thank Chicago you. to see it. Thank
2: <laughs> you and I have
1: two very dear friends, one of whom is in the faculty at UIC, and I, I, and we'll make sure that they come and see it too because they work in this field too. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh,
0: yes. And oh my gosh, thank you, Ashley. You know, you, you took us I feel like on an artist journey. Yeah. When when I'm not a painter, I don't n I wish I was. Um but I I feel <laughs> like I feel like I want to take brush to Canvas with you. Um, yeah. but I I think what you helped our listeners do is go wide and far and up and down and sideways and to breathe and you know live and know how vulnerable life is you you yeah you took us in every to all four corners of that canvas you did you you let us there you were willing to go there and your own you know, brush strokes yeah. and vision and really calming and steadiness and emotionality, all of it. It was just a beautiful journey. And I'm so incredibly humbled and grateful to have you Thank and you. your your voice. Oh my gosh. You asked us to go to your darkest space and I walked with you. I felt it. I like shivers on my body. <laughs> I envisioned it. I felt it, and you asked us to go there with you, and you were so kind and so generous. And I ask our listeners to do the same, because I think there's healing in those dark spaces too.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think you have to embrace the shadow, because it's a part of who you are. That's right. Yep, and
0: shadows are not, you know, we, we have to love our shadows. Yeah. Our shadows show us also that there's light. Ashley, thank you. You're thank You're you amazing. I land with my shivers. <laughs> I'm, maybe I needed to, to go take a shower, wash my hair. I need yeah. to do something.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: you've just led us to that place. I, I, I think I'm gonna take a shower. The shower is only yeah. a luxury. No, 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 not yeah. to wash anything. A, a mask too.
2: Uh, a face mask is always. Oh serious. yes,
1: for some that I can,
0: can be. A- I'll, I'll wear. I'm going to wear the mask in the shower only <laughs> yeah. for you, Ash. Yeah. <laughs> so this has been an incredible um, journey with Ashley, our survivor. Thank you so much, Ashley, for joining our podcast. Um, this is Katie
1: Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. And also adding my thanks to Ashley and to you, the listeners, for sitting in on this podcast. And just a reminder, you can visit takebackthenight.org. Which is the foundation website, and you can find resources there if you need them. We are never alone, and Ashley can is a testament to that. There are many walking with us on this journey of healing, and there are many supporting survivors and in ending sexual violence.
0: Take care. Together we shatter the silence and we end the violence.
1: Take care, everyone.
0: We're grateful to all of you who have joined us for this episode of Dear Katie's Survivor Stories. If you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources. You can reach out to our legal support hotline, uh, connect with other survivors through our social media, and you can also help other survivors simply by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your own social media with some remark about what it's done to help you, and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by all of us, an amazing group of volunteers. We care so much about this cause. The paycheck isn't what we're doing for. Thank you to all of our volunteers. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you for our survivors, wherever you are, for being present and joining us in this process of growth, strength, and healing. Always remember self-care is essential to healing and to thriving.